Hello friends, welcome to the first ever podcast episode of the Creator Community. Today I'm speaking with a very talented and very good human being called Benjamin Von Wong. But you probably recognize the name Von Wong from his decade-long career of creating expansive, unique art through his photography and installations. If you've yet to see his work, I highly recommend stopping what you're doing and clicking the link in the show notes because it's pretty damn incredible. Before we dive into that, I wanted to give you a little background on how this all got started. My name is John Simo, and I'm a content creator based in Toronto. After making both photo and video visuals for nearly a decade myself, I consistently struggled with feeling like I was part of a community. As Instagram gained popularity, I thought it could be a great playground for fostering relationships, and while it is great at many things, creating meaningful relationships and helping others is not its strong suit. So in the fall of 2019, I decided to use the Discord platform as a hub for creatives from Toronto and around the world to connect with each other, learn, and grow. We've got over 600 members, and it's been incredible to see these creators helping each other out, participating in contests, and meeting each other in real life at our unique meetups. If you'd like to join the creator community, you can find the invite link in the show notes below. And if you're already part of the Discord server, thank you for being awesome. And thank you for helping me grow this thing into something really rad. Now onto the main event, Von Wong. We actually met because I filled out his collaboration form found on his Instagram profile. It's an open-ended invite for people to submit concepts and ideas to work together. I've been following his work for quite some time. and didn't really think I would get an actual response. But lo and behold, a couple of days later, I got an email from Ben himself telling me he'd be in Toronto at the end of the month, would love to see my Neon Studio, and if I had a place for him to crash, that would be great. I was putting the energy out there to meet new and interesting humans, and the universe answered, so it was an immediate yes. With the opportunity to spend some time with him, I thought it would be a disservice to the creators in the community if I didn't give them a chance to ask him questions. So together with a handful of my own pressing thoughts, I put together a list and asked him if we could just have a nice informal conversation. I'm thrilled with the wide-ranging and deep topics about creativity that we broached, and I'm really excited for you guys to learn more about him. Having edited this podcast, I've listened to it a handful of times already, and find myself getting more and more inspired with each listen. So without further ado, let's jump right into my conversation with Benjamin Von Wong. Hey, um, what's up? How's it going, man? I'm doing good, I'm doing good. Enjoying watching the cats as this whole thing is playing out. <laughs> Yeah, my cat Boop is ready to hit that record button and stop everything, but uh, we'll let you know if that happens. Um, so I want this to be super informal, and I have some of my own questions that I've been dying to ask you. Um, obviously, we've already had some really cool conversations today, and that's helped me inform on what questions I want to ask. But the community that I started as well is very, very interested in asking you some questions, and I Amazing. thought it would be a really cool opportunity to get to know you a bit better in like a formal setting, but also informal. Yeah, for sure. Let the interrogation begin. <laughs> <laughs> well, if people are listening to this, then they already know who you are because they've come here with a, the intent of listening to you. So I can circumvent all of what people might think of you, but I'm really curious as to what you think you are. And so, so how would I describe myself? Like we were talking about earlier, if you had 60 seconds to pitch yourself to another human being in an elevator, what would that sound like? And are you talking about Benjamin Wong or are you talking about Von Wong? Well, that's an interesting question. Yeah. Um, um, tell me, tell me about <laughs> Von Wong then. What do, what do people, what would you tell people who already have a little bit of an idea who you are? So Von Wong is an artist who designs campaigns uh, around different topics of social impact. He's raised over 100 million views of awareness for different causes like ocean plastics, um, fast fashion, and electronic waste. 
He's worked with large companies like Dell, Nike, Starbucks, and uh, has a Guinness World Record. Um, he has a community of half a million followers and tries to use his art to change the world, I guess. <laughs> but then Benjamin Wong has no idea what he's doing, which is why I was trying <laughs> to like get, I was trying to like tailor off like what exactly you're you were you were going after. Yeah. And so how do you how do you deal with that? question then of like I don't know what I'm doing but people think I know what I'm doing I just think it's uh I mean we, we we are all in that situation like nobody truly knows what they're doing with their lives um and as a result of social media we all have a persona one that we have like kind of front-facing that's a byproduct of the world that we live in and then there's like the personal story of who we are and what we struggle with and so I actually think like mine is simply magnified and brought to the forefront um, I'm actually quite transparent. I feel like people who have watched my videos, see me online and meet me in person, actually find it to be very congruent. Like there, there's no dissociation between the two characters. However, on one, you'll see a very um, filtered side of it. So my Von Wong persona, for example, will always be happy, excited, filled with ideas, um, will provide all these creative solutions to big technical challenges and come up with ideas that no one else would have thought of. And there's this fearlessness to tackle the world's problems, this courage that, that people see. And that, that is very much still me. It's just one facet of me. Um, then there's the other facet that spends 30 hours a week answering emails, you know, like, <laughs> and that has like, Yes, it's part of both, but it's one that people don't have any interest in. So, you, so it's not about wanting to hide it as much as people are not interested in exploring it as much. That's fair. Yeah. Uh, my next question would be, what is one of the best investments you've ever made related to the creative field? And that could be money, time, or energy. Oh, that's a fun question. Um, I've never been asked it before, so I don't have a, a ready-to-give answer. Um, we can cut the, the, the length of the thinking down, right? <laughs> yeah, so this is going to be like this big, like, two-minute gap of time where I'm just trying to think out loud. Do you um, want to start with something tangible? Because I know time and energy can be very ethereal, but what's something maybe more tangible that you've invested in that has fundamentally changed the way you look at things or helped your career or helped your focus? Yeah, it's really... It's really hard to say because, like, so, like, if you had asked me this question, like, five or six years ago, and, you're, and then made it a gear question, it's like, what piece of gear did you buy that's, like, completely transformed anything? And then I'd say something like, oh, buying a Wacom tablet completely transformed the way I edited, and it, it's, it's been, like, one of the best investments ever, and it's so cheap, and it's so easy. Or then if you go back another three years, then it'd be like, oh, you know, Photoshop is the best investment you can make because you, you know, you, well... I don't think it was a subscription model at the time, but it was basically this idea of buying one product that could completely transform the shittiest equipment into like the most amazing image. And then, and then maybe today, if it was a, you know, a piece of gear, um, or maybe let's, let's go back three years. Cause I don't know what today would be, but like say three years ago, it would be like discovering like a one handed gimbal was just like phenomenal. in like the filmmaking world, like completely transformed the need for a slider or a jib, you know, it's something you could take everywhere with you. And so I think they're just like all these different, like very practical gears that helped allow me to do things. But then when I think of like transformational shifts in my life, I don't think about equipment. I don't think about access to, to new toys that, radically transform who I am and how I see the world. I mean, it empowers me to experiment and play and discover, um, but, but not quite 
I feel like the question you're asking in terms of like, what did you invest in in yourself comes from a place that is a little bit different, um, which is why I'm struggling with the question. And when I think about investing in myself, I think of people who maybe might go on like a two month, a two week silent retreat somewhere, or they might take a vacation that they wouldn't have taken otherwise. Like they really took it upon themselves to invest in a course or a learning or a process. And I don't have a, an answer. And I wonder why. Um, either it's because my life is very integrated in that every decision I make is built on the background of self-growth in the first place anyways so then everything I do in, 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 in integrally even if it's in the wrong direction is made with the decision of making me a better person uh, equipping me to handle the big questions in the world or so forth or because I just don't have that work-life separation and have never taken the time to invest in myself selfishly in the way that the question is intended so so I guess I'm kind of a little bit torn so many people look at work and life as like a balance and I think of work and life a little bit more as an integrated in terms of how the two mesh and blend together to form one, um, which is why the, ch the question, I think, is a little challenging for me to answer. And even writing the question, I pretended to answer it myself, and I myself don't have a good answer to it, I think. Great. I, thanks I've, for handing it over. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, the fact that we can sort of look at that question and, and deconstruct it a little bit, where I think we both could have answered the money side of the investment pretty easily. Like it was this type of gear or this type of course, right? But in the end of the day, that's still going to be a bit service level. It's not going to fundamentally change things. It's just going to improve workflow, be a new system. Right. And it can be something that like just makes you happy. I mean, I, I think one of the, the best toys I've bought that has transformed the way I interact with the world is like an electric skateboard, right? I have three electric skateboards. It was the first thing I bought when I went to San Francisco and just the mobility it's given me. I travel with it now. It's like, great, but... You know, my new person, I don't, I don't know. Right. <laughs> yeah. But I think going forward, something that I really want to pay attention to is I haven't really invested in time or energy yet, not in a profound way. But mm -hmm. having that idea or having that idea in my back pocket, I think is something that I consider very important. So when you say like time and energy invested in something, are you talking about it from a purely selfish perspective? So like removing the constraints of job and work and life. So like as an example... In 2016, I decided that I was going to focus 100% on doing social impact work and not do, uh, not take on any jobs that didn't have, that, that didn't align with my mission. And so in that sense, I basically took an 18-month sabbatical from working and earning money. That didn't mean I wasn't working. It just meant that I shifted a direction. I took an entirely, purely selfish direction for my own self-growth, knowing that I was putting other things aside and making sacrifices for that choice. But I don't see that as time and energy investment I see that as a life choice I just you know my goals shifted right so and I've had a number of those so I mean in yeah. my mind they don't seem too dissimilar you deciding to not take on projects the lack of projects can be the biggest project in itself right so right. being be able to say no can be life's biggest project because the freedom you can get from that uh, allows you to actually finally focus and sort of start looking more linearly and then eventually like branch out branch out and like start thinking quantumly like in a way mm -hmm. um, and so I think that is a perfect example of like using your time and energy in an investment yeah. way in yourself and, and I guess you would have done the same with your neon studio or you know uh, I don't know the show that you've you decided to invest time in I mean in order to do that in order to invest in that you would have had to say no to many other things
And so it, in many ways, I don't know for creative freelancers, the question is, is, is kind of an interesting one because everything is so meshed together. So unless you're really specifically talking about extracting the two, so I don't know, um, maybe investing time in your partner or uh, investing time in your family, like really trying to create that separation. Yeah. Yeah. I think in my instance, the Neon Studio and the web series, while they were heavy investments, they weren't my best investments. Mm-hmm. I think there was a lot of mistakes made there. And so I, I don't think I've found that right investment of time and energy just yet. Interesting. And what would make an investment a good investment versus a bad investment? How are you judging the success or failure of an investment? I think it's how you come out on the other side. Do you feel good about it? Okay. Um, are you in a good mental space? Did you learn something? Did you grow? Did you help people? Are you always looking forwards and not backwards? Or did you just fall into self-repeating patterns and old habits and end up where you started? And is that more a question of perspective or an objective thing? So, so what I mean by that is when you look at, so let's say the Neon Studio didn't end up being your uh, life mission, your life's mission. It, but but it allowed you to express yourself. It got you coverage that you never thought you'd got coverage. It became something that was cash flow positive. Like all those on, men, on many levels are successes. And then along the way, you learn some things about yourself, which which uh, may not may have been unexpected. So those are learnings which are also successful. Mm-hmm. You know. So when does it could 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 you reframe uh, something that you don't feel is a great success into something that was uh, a lesser success? I don't know if that makes sense. I guess the hardest part about that question is taking ego out of it. Mm. Because if it's not to better yourself, um, if something doesn't feel good, it can still be a very good life lesson. Right. And so to take ego out of it to be able to be okay with a failure, I think is what makes that question so difficult. Yeah, yeah. Absolutely. Because everybody wants to look at what was the best thing, not what was the worst thing that could have been the best thing. Yeah. I mean, my, my entire photography career, if we take a little segue there, uh, began as a result of a breakup. So I was working in a mine in Winnemucca, Nevada. This girl breaks up with me and I'm like, oh shit, I need something to do, something to keep my mind busy. So I decided to buy a camera because the stars are pretty. Like that literally, that was the event that launched me into this entire career path. Um, so is that good or bad? <laughs> I think that's great. Yeah, yeah. so that, might, that, may be, that may be the most significant achievement of my life was like, deciding that I wasn't just going to sit around in Netflix and oh, I don't think Netflix was out then, but just watch TV and chill. I decided yeah. to like do something. So that might be my most significant achievement from that perspective. So it's kind of hard. Like it is a hard question. Yeah. It's so easy to look back and be like, this was a success. This was a failure. But then when you look forward, the future is so murky and there's this odd, like this odd situation or this odd perspective where like when we look back, everything seems to make sense because you can connect all the dots in retrospect but if we apply that same murkiness looking forward, it creates this interesting question and balance. Um, well, looking back, I think confirmation bias kicks in quite readily. For sure. Where we can connect the dots to everything that makes sense to our, not primitive minds, but like the minds that like are really good at seeing patterns and really bad at uh, sort of seeing the bigger picture. But could you imagine a, um, a parallel universe in which... Uh, uh, a John looking back at his life looked back and connected the dots differently. Um, the exact same events happened, but the perspectives of what had happened changed, and that would create an entire different timeline of events of what could potentially happen on the future because the conclusions and the patterns would be drawn differently. Um, and I think we always look back from one perspective as opposed to multiple perspective, and what might that mean for a different kind of future if we chose to see the past differently? 
Yeah. Um, it could be an entirely different lifetime. It could be, yeah. And so maybe there are parallel universes there if, we <laughs> if you look at it that way. But That's a whole different podcast. <laughs> it's a whole different conversation, yeah. Okay, on to the next question. Uh, I'm like totally sidetracking you here. <laughs> no, it's perfect. Um, but just coming back to ground level for a second. For sure, for sure. This happens to me quite a bit um, where I just get asked the same question over and over again. And so I wanted to ask you what your most asked question is that you might receive in your DMs or via email. And has that answer evolved over time? Yeah, the, the question is uh, that I get the most often is where does your inspiration come from? Um, my answer hasn't actually changed over time. It, uh, it turns out I'm not very creative. So my inspiration comes from the people, places, spaces that I go to and meet. So I need to interact with people and places. I need to be out of my own head in order to get inspired and motivated and feel challenged and, and to actually create because it turns out that if you're a photographer and you have nothing to shoot, there's nothing to be creative about. Like I need to have that external input to bounce off of um, very much closer to a mirror than, uh, than like, I don't know what, something else that would just create out of thin air. Right. Yeah. And are people satisfied with that answer? Or do they want that magic bullet? No, they want the magic bullet, as always. I mean, that's not a helpful answer, really, because it just says, like, well, just talk to more people or just travel more. It's, like, super stocky, but that's, like, genuinely, like, I, I'm an extrinsically inspired person, so I don't have a number of intrinsic uh, habits that I have built around myself in order to sustain a flow of creativity. If anything, it's more the opposite. So you go out, you get super inspired about something, you come back home, and, like, suddenly, like, life is boring again, like, I need to force myself to go through the motions of just getting out again to like do the things that I know that I love but don't feel like doing. Um, so I very much need to do that in order to to kick myself out. I can't I can't just sit there and like meditate my way into like brilliancy. It's not <laughs> not not my thing. <laughs> um, well, sort of related to that, I think a lot of people look to you and other creatives in this day and age of Instagram like we can be almost these like demigods where we don't fail. Everything is so magical on the surface. We're living these magical lives. Not to say that we're in that similar vein, but I think a lot of creatives who are working professionals do suffer with that a lot. And it's because we don't really have a good platform for showcasing failure. And so I would love for you to talk about your biggest failure. That's or maybe not biggest failure, but what's, <clears throat> what's a failure you learned something from? I mean, I fail all the time. And I think the thing is like, Failure is not binary. Um, you can fail while succeeding. Like you can lose your soul while you're creating your best work. You can lose your family while you're doing something you love. You, I mean, failure and success are not two separate states. They, they come to every, every project I've done has simultaneously been both a success and failure at the same time in different ratios for different reasons. And so... Even, even, I think even though, like, everyone says, like, oh, it's not a failure if you learn something. But I think, like, even if you don't learn anything, it's not a bad thing. It just, it's just setting you on a path to, to where you might learn something else. Like, life happens, and it is very much what you make of it and what, what you decide to do as a result of that. And I like to say that there are no right or wrong decisions. There are just decisions and consequences uh, and it's up to you to own up to the consequences when they do happen and to say, okay, I could have done that better. Oh, well, you know, like you also have to get over it because you can't change the past. So all you can do is look forward and, and, and try to affect the future. Um, so, so I think I have a little bit of a stoic 
nature to my life. I have a very pragmatic outlook on like when it is helpful to feel depressed uh, or encouraged or unhappy. Like, I mean, I, I'm able to uh, take a third person view on my life. Um, and I think it comes from being a public figure. You always get challenged by what people think of you you always end up on a stage where you're speaking and telling people your story and why you do what you do and having to justify it. And sometimes that just starts to ring false and you're like, oh, I need to call myself out on my own bullshit. You know, um, and, I, and I don't necessarily think that Instagram is a platform that is made to, show, to hide failure. Um, I'd push back a little bit against that because there are people who make their brands, their entire brands about sharing their failures or their imperfections. Um, what... The problem with social media is is the idea that once you create a version of yourself, you're not allowed to evolve. Because when people follow you, they don't follow you the person. They follow you the brand. And the brand and the characters that fall under that brand, similar to a reality TV show, are not allowed to change. If you watch The Simpsons and one day... Homer decided to do this entire spin around and become this brilliant guy who didn't drink beer anymore and became fit, and he just wouldn't be Homer anymore, and that wouldn't be okay. People wouldn't be okay with that. Um, and so people are against the idea of change, and that's the problem with social media. Um, it's that if one day I decided to be this imperfect person who decided to be a DJ and was just slobbing around in my life, I would lose all my followers. That's the problem with it. It's that we don't have permission to be who we want to be. We create whatever we think is right in the moment, and that can ring true. And for some, it lasts longer, and for others, it lasts shorter. But we lose the ability to change, especially if our business models depend on it. And so that's the danger. Um, you're not allowed to evolve. You're not allowed to become different. You're not allowed to grow. You get trapped in your own success. Um, and as long as you're not successful enough, as long as you don't depend on it, you have the freedom to be whoever you want to be. Um, and so that's where I think we end up wanting to be something we pursue this idea of something but then it actually backfires quite often you mentioned the term helpful depression what does that mean to you so you can't be inspired and excited and motivated all the time right like it's just impossible uh at least it is for me um and i think it's impossible for most people um i mean someone who is consistently excited and happy one would call delusional. I mean, it's just, that's kind of the definition of a crazy person. Someone who's just like, oh, everything's great. Like, you can't be happy all the time. So I think taking that perspective and being like, oh, life sucks right now. I'm just going to like do nothing for the week and I'm going to mope in my own sorrow because I have to go through this um, because it's who I am. And then to just accept it and make the most out of your depression. So like, oh, well, since I'm depressed, I'm just going to sleep a lot more. I'm going to catch up on my sleep. Um, I'm going to catch up on my video gaming. You know, I'm just going to turn off my brain for a little while. Um, it's not what I want to do, but I think it's what I have to do. Um, and you know what? The things that are important will become more urgent over time. And the things that are not important will start to fade away. And I'll know what I need to tackle. Like clarity will emerge as a result of that. And so I, I think for the longest time, I felt a lot of guilt whenever I um, relaxed or whenever I felt uninspired, or whenever I just like had to just sit back and do nothing for a little while. Um, and then over time, I just kind of go like, well, maybe it's not a bad thing to like chill out for a little bit so that I can go like 150% when I'm on a project. 
I mean, that seems to be the cost of it, right? Like, so if we, if we map out the oscillations, so like the, the ebbs and flows of a creative, and we know that creatives have higher highs and lower lows, well, that implies that if you want to have the higher highs, you need to go through the lower lows. So is that the price you're willing to pay? Once again, decisions and consequences, there's not one that's right or wrong, but what's, what's right or wrong for you? And what, which path do you choose to pursue? Yeah, that's a great point. Yeah. Uh, I think we can all sort of, I, I think the biggest thing is understanding that when you're in the depression, um, there is a lot of that at the end of that tunnel. I think a lot of people, when they get into that depressive state, they just feel like they're never going to get out of it. Yeah, absolutely. But and the ebb and flow of that can be very helpful. Right? It, so, can, yeah. it can give you inspiration. If you look at a lot of the great creators of our time, they were, some of them were manic depressive and some of them had crazy bouts of strange behavior and that created some of the best art of our time. Yeah, I, I mean, I can't, I can't speak on behalf of like clinical depression because I don't feel like I've ever been clinically depressed. Um, but on that same note, I felt like, I feel like I've been creatively depressed for the last couple of years um, and, and just trapped within the, the expectations of what I should be doing and what I, what I could be doing if only I wanted to, but I don't. Um, and so there's this sort of paralysis that kind of sets in. And, and so although I don't think I've ever gone through a depression, I definitely feel like these are just part of life. Like we got one life and it's not going to be a straight line and we know that's not going to be a straight line. And so you just, you know, what are you going to do about it? If, you know, we're not equal, no one's equal, everyone's different. So what are you going to do about it? How are you going to make your weaknesses into a strength? Or how are you going to make your strengths into weaknesses? Like how do you choose to work on certain things that you're good at or not good at? You know, I mean, you were talking this morning about, hey, Ben, you should, you know, come do a cold ice bath. It'll be a great experience. And in my head, I'm like, ah, when are you going to ever be offered the opportunity to go and do an ice bath? You should just do this. I mean, this is what being nomadic is supposed to be about. You're supposed to go and say yes to things and try things that you never do. And I'm just like, in my head, I'm like, but really, do I really want to do an ice bath? <laughs> I'm just so lazy. It's so uncomfortable. I like, I don't want to do it. It was, was that right or wrong? I mean, some might say it was right. Some might say it was wrong. Right. So I don't know, but I make a decision and I just stick by it and then that's it. And you know, move on from there. Like <laughs> what, 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 what use is it to get stuck on that? <laughs> Everyone on the server is going to laugh at the fact that I tried to make you take an ice bath. <laughs> well, you didn't try to make me. You just right. said like, I offered, it I up. got this ice bath. I'm yeah. going to do it. It's the most amazing <laughs> thing ever. You feel like you're going to die and <laughs> it's, it's like horrible. Your whole body's rebelling against you. And I'm just like, you're really selling it, John. You're really selling it, but I don't know. <laughs> See, in my mind, those were all pluses. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Um, and, and you know what? I'm sure it would be a great experience. It'd be like a fun thing to try. It wouldn't be a bad thing. I just kind of did a quick way pro con. Do I want to do it? Do I not want to do it? And no. And then, but you know, I can come back and do it another day. You know, it's, and it's neither right nor wrong. It just is. Yeah. And I will say at that point, we'd known each other for all of like one hour. Yeah, probably one hour. <laughs> so it would have been a bit strange for me to coach you through like the breathing exercises and like the horse stance and everything. Yeah. And just like before we'd ever even had conversation one. But there are people who, who would say yes instantly and, and I admire them for it. Um, but it's not me and that's okay. Yeah. But next time you have to. <laughs> I, I will make you. <laughs> yeah. If you make me feel bad enough, I might. I, I definitely have a people pleasing quality about me though. So if you're trying to manipulate me, just make me feel bad about it. 
Okay, so I didn't really want to ask this question, but I do think it will be helpful to everyone that it's on sort of the tips of their tongues is about gear and tech, right? Okay. Because I think a lot of people look at you and assume that the this hardworking creative must have the hardest working best gear. And I was surprised myself to find out that that's not the case. And so I would love for you to talk about like moving from your past setup to your current one and why you haven't stayed super trendy with camera technology. Yeah, so um, I started off like most dudes in photography, being like, I need the best gear. Um, the better the gear, the better my photos. And, and for a while, that was true. I mean, I started off with really shitty equipment. And as I upgraded along the way, got my first DSLR, I think the Nikon D300 was like such an upgrade from the Pentax K100D that I had. I was stoked. And then I discovered flashes and suddenly I could do all these lighting things and I upgraded from a D300 to D700. I was like, full frame, this is great. And then there was like the D800 and it was like, oh, 36 megapixels, this is even more great. Um, and then I just kind of followed that train for the longest time. I ended up I sponsored by Mamiya Leaf. So I had a Credo 80 medium format camera sponsored. And then I... I, I um, won the Gen Next competition with Broncolor, so I ended up with $24,000 of lighting equipment that I could keep. And so basically I was going around the world shooting with like $100,000 of gear everywhere I went. And everyone was jealous, but nobody could relate to me. And I was taking images that were good. I, I don't think they were necessarily better than the work I was creating prior to having the gear. Um, I mean, the Broncolor flashes probably made a significant difference because... Obviously, there's a higher power. You could hack the hypersync, so you could really get some some shots. So gear does help, um, but I also don't think that's how I took my best work uh, necessarily. And so somewhere in that journey, as I you know I was doing the confidence circuit, so I was teaching a lot, I was speaking. I realized that as my gear got better, um, I became less inspirational. People struggled to relate with what I was doing because they would be like, wow, that's amazing. I wish one day I could have that gear and then I could create that shot. And in my head, I'm just like, or I'm telling them, I'm actually like speaking, I'm saying gear doesn't matter. It really doesn't matter. But then my actions showed otherwise. My actions showed that I was like flaunting the best of the best, the Rolls Royce of all the gear. And and and, and of course, well, I mean, I could. Why, why shouldn't I? I mean, I had earned it or I felt like I had earned it. But 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 the reason I create... And this has always been a big thing for me. Like, there's always a why behind what I do. And the reason I create was never to make the best images. I mean, I created the work because I enjoyed it. But what made my brand was sharing the process. And as I started shooting with more expensive things, I realized that people connected to it less and less and less. And so, um, so I just made this conscious decision to, like, start scaling back all the equipment that I use. And first, it started by switching to mirrorless. I think I went from, like, a D800, uh, sorry, from the Mamiya Leaf to, like, an A7R, which was slow, and but it had, like, great quality, so it was, I wasn't sacrificing much. Um, I upgraded to an R2 because I just, the, it was just too slow. Um, and then slowly started leaving more and more of my brown colors at home. Um, they were heavy. They were hard to use. Um... And then, and then, and then I focused a little bit more on the experience of it. So whether it was tying someone underwater or hanging them off a rooftop, it was really about this process of overcoming all these different like physical challenges. And it became less about the photography and more about the experience. And I started to realize that suddenly I could connect with people a little bit better again. Um, you know, it wasn't so much about saying, "Hey, I'm super special. I got all the best stuff. I am the best," but more like saying, "Hey, I figured out something cool. Look, this is a new trick." Or like. I was kind of stuck here, and by by like 
uh, finding all these different hacks, I was able to come up with a solution. So like, and even even the campaign that I did, one of the like highest paying campaigns that I ever got was to shoot a cell phone campaign for Huawei. I had to shoot these like these light painting portraits with a phone, and I was using a phone with neutral density filters on it, and I was manually triggering flashes um, by hand. And then hacking Dropbox to like import the photos as they came in so that Lightroom could watch a folder so that the client could see the images. And it was just like these entire operations, um, that's what people connected to was this kind of like struggle of saying, I have all these constraints, now I can be creative. Um, and now that's kind of devolved to the point where I have a 1635, an A7R 2 which I think at this point is what, like four years old. Um, my lens is like dented and scratched, uh, but it works and it's nice. Um, it's still in focus. I travel with one Godox 8200. Um, and wherever I end up, depending on what gear my community will bring to me, uh, that's what I use. And it's always been enough for my last couple projects. Um, and, and you know what? It, it stopped being about the gear. Um, so... The price of that, I think, ultimately, as I, I maybe went a little bit too far, is that I kind of lost the attention of the photography community because it became so much more about empowering the everyday person to make a difference with what they believe in. So there was, I think, a little bit of a price to pay for that. But I'm okay with that because ultimately now it isn't so much about these. Uh, this is how you can take a good photo, but really this is how you create a campaign to make the world a better place. And that's what matters to me more. The photo is just the tool that I use to get there. I think that's such a beautiful answer because, I mean, as as creators, we just think it's the same reason why when you open up the podcast app and you listen to a new podcast, for some reason in our minds, the older podcasts just aren't as good. Right. So like, why do we want to listen to the old stuff when there's the new stuff right here? Exactly. Like it must have gotten better. But says who? We're mm -hmm. making up that story in our own minds. We're telling ourselves a narrative that doesn't exactly exist. I mean, a great example of that, like if you want to give like a tangible example, if you look at like the TED Talks from like 2012, 2013, 2014, they were, they were amazing and they're still spreading because like the things they were talking about are timeless because at the time they were really sourcing the best of the best. And then over time, I mean, the best didn't come up with like great new revolutionary ideas. I mean, it takes time, it takes effort. Um, but, but the demand for content just creates saturation, and now you just have saturated content. So the ability, like this, this sort of urgency to just always have more and new and next, next best just kind of erases almost all of that. And I think, I think it's a little bit of a loss. Um, not to say that great things haven't come out of it. I mean, there are some amazing Instagram story creators that have emerged, like brilliant people who have that flexibility of mind, but, but at the expense of people who take the time to create really amazing stuff have, I think, suffered from it. Um, you know, algorithms are a really interesting thing. They're binary by nature. And so, you know, it's a one or a zero. I was having this conversation on the other podcast that I was working on with uh, Joshua from Brink Media, and he talks about how internet is killing our humanity. Um, and his, his contention is like, you know, everything is black and white, um, red or blue, ones or zeros. And ultimately things become a self-fulfilling prophecy. So if you look for a house online to see, just because you might be a little bit interested, you're not ready to buy it, but you're just a little bit interested. Now Facebook logs that, and now they show you a house, another house, a better deal, a worse deal, a different neighborhood, until that thing eventually becomes a truth, right? It's trying to flip you from a one to a zero because it already knows it's that. And so by simply demonstrating your interest, you've now become, they've already mapped out where they're going to send you. Um, and it becomes this like self-fulfilling prophecy. And it just... 
it's just kind of sad to feel like maybe the world is that way. Um, you know, we like to think that we have the independence of choice and that we're in full control of our actions, but you only need to look so far as to like Google Maps to see that you don't actually trust your own judgment anymore. You let the machine make the decision on which way to go. I was actually having this conversation a few weeks ago how algorithms are the new gods. Because if you look into the past, we would have basically blind faith, something we could never see, interact with, or talk to. And now when you open up Netflix and you're told what you're like, you're like, oh yeah, I must like this. And you don't ever have that question like, wait, do I like this? Mm -hmm. It's blind faith to something you will never meet, never talk to, or never engage with. Right. And in a way, that's a very scary act. It is, and they don't have your best interests at heart. Their best, in, their their interest is not whether or not it makes you better, whether or not it makes the world better. It's how much time are you going to spend on this thing? How much of your time can I steal? Yeah. Um, yeah. So I can just hope that people at least ask the question: Do I like this? Or like, is something choosing for me that maybe isn't quite accurate? Like, it's great to get content that you like, but don't take that as the answer. Yeah, sometimes click on something that you wouldn't like. I think I think it's and and that's what one of the things I think is so important about traveling and doing and just meeting people who have different perspectives. It forces you into another state. And so I mean, I like to hope that like my profile on Facebook is just a little unpredictable and they're just like, "Oh, why is this guy suddenly interested in podcasting now? He was a photographer." Like, "Oh, wait, 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 no, he's looking at like clothes right now. Why why does he want clothes?" Or like I I hope that my life is confusing to the algorithms, as confusing as it is to myself. So. <laughs> well, that's actually yeah. a perfect segue into my next question, which is uh, what pushed you to the nomadic lifestyle you're currently embodying and how has it changed the way that you look at creativity and how has it affected your creative concepts? So I've been nomadic for like 14 days, so I feel you're catching me at the way beginning. However, there's been this massive mental shift for me since going nomadic. Um, the reason I decided to go nomadic, there were a couple reasons. Um, it started because my roommate decided to tell me that she was going to move in with her boyfriend back in November. And that had me go like, whoa, crap, I need to figure out my living situation. And, she's, and she was really nice about it. Um, however, the truth was I was paying one-third of the rent, uh, and, and she was paying two-thirds. And I had two rooms for $1,500 in San Francisco, which is half the price of two rooms in San Francisco. And so there was just no way for me to hold on to that same uh, model unless I truly found someone that I could sell it on. And I was just like, and it just kickstarted this whole kind of thought process in my head, like, is this what I really want? Should I stay here? Should I not stay here? And, and surprisingly, it led me to realize that there was no reason for me to physically stay in San Francisco. I realized that after four years, I had actually not built any community. Um, I hadn't found any substantial amount of work, although I was really happy there, and I made some great friends, and I loved the weather, and I loved the culture, and I was attending interesting events. There was no particularly special reason that it was worth fighting to stay here. And so what, what that led me to, that conclusion led me to realizing that actually um, I had grown complacent. You know, I was, I just had a home that I enjoyed. I was happy here. I was chill. Um, and that when I come home after a long project, I just relax. I reconnect with people. I take care of myself. I take care of my body. But, but I'm not advancing my greater mission of becoming the most useful version of myself that I could possibly be. Um, I wasn't learning the most. I wasn't discovering things. I wasn't exploring much. Um, and so I decided to kick myself out of San Francisco. 
Um, I, I mean, I could have just continued paying rent. I could have found another place. That was just all fairly easy options. But um, I, I didn't want that. I wanted to... I, I've, I've been waiting, actually. Like, I've been knowing... So I say I'm someone that's, like, extrinsically inspired, as I said earlier. Um, and so I've been waiting for something big in my life to change so that I could, like, kick myself on some, like, great massive mission. And I realized that, oh, this could be that thing. Um, if it wasn't going to be a breakup with my girlfriend, who I love very much who I'm with, <laughs> um, and I've been with for five years, there's, like, no big massive heartbreak to launch me on a new, like, epic journey, that this was going to be the next best thing. Um, and so I just decided that, you know what, I'm going to go nomadic. And I don't know what, to, I don't, didn't have a sense of what I wanted to discover or what I wanted to do. It sort of evolved over time. And, and in, in the first week of leaving, and it's funny because it's not about travel because I was always traveling. Anyways, I travel six months out of the year, but this, this sense of urgency of knowing that there was nowhere back home to go and that I really had to make the most of this year-ish of nomadicness because I was not going to get a second chance at it. And this, for some reason, as someone extrinsically inspired, I kind of just hit the ground running and I was just so excited. I was inspired. I was curious. I was making meetings. I was making connections. Um, and I was having such great conversations that that just led to the other thing of like saying, oh, I need, I think I should record all of these things. I should get a podcast. So then I bought a podcast set up and and here we are using the podcast setup, and and you know I'm sitting I'm sitting in your office because I started a form because now I knew I was going to be nomadic. So then I started realizing that I needed places to stay, and and that's actually the reason I'm here today. It was this sort of this urgency that just kind of catalyzed one thing after the other. But I think it just came from saying something bad has happened. It was unexpected. It was outside of my control. How can I make this into something good? And then here we are. Is that a skill you've always had? I think so. Yeah. Um, I think, I think it's born out of survival. I went to 13 different schools in three different countries. Um, I've always had to make new friends and never fit in. I was always the weird guy. And I had the opportunity to just consistently reinvent who I wanted to be and what kind of person I wanted to be. And ultimately realized that like, it's so much of it is like what you decide to do. I remember this one time I was leaving a city and I had just said goodbye to all the friends that I had made over the course of four months. And I was like, well, that was nice. I'm probably never going to speak to them again. And do you say, shit, life sucks. I wish I could, da-da-da-da-da. Or do you say like, oh, cool. I, I can go make more friends now. Um, and I, I just like remember this one particular moment. And it was, it was just so clear to me that it was about looking at this as an opportunity to go make new, new friends see new people and that was okay it was a good time it served its purpose and now it's on to the next thing that's such a good outlook on life because i i, I think you're very i don't know about lucky because i know that a lot of things have led you to this path right now where you're at but i think a lot of people um they find it very difficult to not look at the way they feel like something that's made up because if you're angry or depressed or sad it technically is made up in your mind you have generated this feeling mm -hmm. and so if you can think to yourself that this is made up you can sort of look around it you can see the positive to it i can look around it it doesn't change how i feel right we don't control our feelings you don't control who you love or who you hate but you can rationalize it differently and so we control our thoughts but we don't control our feelings um i think maybe it's more so about making sure that you don't let your feelings dictate who you have to be you can feel something and do the opposite right right you can feel hate and not just kill the person in front of you 
Yeah. That's fine. You can walk away too. Right. You can also smile and shake their hand or give them a hug. And maybe that feeling will change. Um, and that's within our control. So um, I think it's important to realize that. And, and it's, you know, it's easy to talk about this on, on a podcast and like I'm in a super like motivated, positive mood. And so it's all coming out right now as like super positive and like rah, rah. But I mean, you only need to talk, you can talk to my girlfriend and she would tell you these the long stretches. And, and like, if there's someone who's like always playing devil's advocate, it's me. And if there's anyone that's hard on myself, it's me. Like I'm always, I'm probably the person that sees my success the least out of all the people that I know. Like everyone thinks I'm more impressive than I do. Um, uh, and, and it just, and that's okay. Like, that's just how I am. I just, and I know it and I absorb it and I'm like, okay, I'm probably just shitting on myself right now, but like, what the fuck am I doing? I'm trying something new again. Why am I always going to think like, I mean, like as starting this podcast, I'm already telling myself like for this podcast to be successful, the one thing I need to do is just not give up after like five episodes. Like I need to not get bored with this. Um, like everything else doesn't matter. I just need to not get bored. Like I am my own biggest enemy and I know that. Like, so, and, I, and that's just my own personal failings. But, but by knowing who you are, by knowing what you're good at and what you suck at, you can mitigate for that a little bit. Um, and I think it's also important to, like, build your support structure around you. Um, you know, we, I think everyone have, when something goes wrong, you have someone you can call or you have a list of people you could potentially call. Um, someone might encourage you. Someone might tell you to get out of your own head. Someone, like, and you, we choose who we call in those times to hear the narrative that we want to hear. And sometimes it's important to like just break out of that just from time to time. Um, I love to talk to complete strangers that I don't know about something. So like if I'm going through something rough and some random person messages me, I might just like start like a really deep conversation with them just to get an unbiased perspective just to see what happens. Um, and, and, and I do to, to kind of touch on your idea of saying that I... I, I don't know what word you use, but I have, so in terms of privilege, like I have privilege, I have a lot of it. Um, I have a family that loves me. I had the chance to go to school. I never, I was never homeless. I've never had to worry about food on the table. I had the chance to get an education. I grew up, you know, um, I got to travel. You know, I, yes, I've had to work. No, my parents weren't rich, but they've also never al allowed me to struggle beyond like academia or, you know, being a good kid, being a good person. Um, and so with that privilege comes just this sense of responsibility of trying to also give back and help and support others. Um, and, you know, I, I think maybe one of the strongest relationships that I have right now is my girlfriend. Um, we've been together for five years and if, and, and she's probably the only thing, well, with my family, my family and my girlfriend are the two things that haven't changed in my entire five years, everything else has changed. The places I've lived have changed. The people I've met have changed. The interests I've had have changed. My career path, my business model, all these things have shifted and changed. And just to find those people who will believe in you, believe in you unconditionally, even if you're like, yeah, your opinion doesn't count because you're fa your family, like it's still important to have it, right? Mm -hmm. So find, find those rocks, find those anchors, find those that will, you know, uh, shake you out of your own, your own misery from time to time and tell you it's going to be okay, even if you don't want to hear it. I think that's important. Yeah. All right. So as promised, diving into some of the Discord server questions. Um, and so these are from some of the awesome users of our Toronto Creator community. And uh, they're super, super stoked to be able to ask these questions because I think this is a really rare opportunity. I mean, how often does this get to happen right? unless you're interviewing someone directly? Unless I move to Toronto, which may happen. <laughs> <laughs> and then in person. Yeah. Um, so the first question comes from uh, Maha 
Mahad Amir, and his question to you is, have you, how have you seen your art make an impact on people's lives? Um, and I, do, I do find it fascinating that he says your art and not your photography. I think that's cool. That is cool. That is cool. Yeah. Thanks for seeing my work as art. I appreciate that, Mahad. Um, I think the only way you know if, some, if the art has made an impact on someone is if they tell you. Right? Like someone needed, people have told me, thanks to your work, I have done X. Or th because of your work, um, this or that happened. Or I am now showing your work in my classroom to my students and giving them assignments as a result of it. Um, and so these happen, and then, and then of course there's like the online comments, the Instagram comments like, oh, this is great, or oh, I showed my daughter or son, and this is what they did, and now they're doing this at school. I mean, I, I feel those, um, and sometimes I'll meet people um, who will come up to me and be like, oh, dude, it's because of you that I started photography, and then it didn't work out, and then I lost my, my studio, and then I lost... <laughs> Does that actually happen? <laughs> no, sort of, sort of, sometimes, yeah. I mean, like... No, no one blames you, but like people are just really excited. There's this, there's, I think there's this genuine connection that happens. The ripple effects of art that we will just never see or touch, right? Like you can transform someone's life without ever knowing that it's ever happened. Um, I had this opportunity, and I, I think opportunity or gift um, that I got in 2000 and. 12 when I first started uh, teaching. I mean, I think it was maybe 2011, actually. Um, I first started teaching. Um, local, local photo club asked me to do a presentation on my work, and I was like, oh, what am I going to talk about? And I wanted to talk about the importance of sharing your process. And I, I asked on Facebook, like, oh, has me sharing my process made a difference in your life? Please let me know. And most of the answers were pretty standard, like, you know, I'm inspired to shoot more, or now I have some new techniques that I can use, or I'm inspired by what you do. Um, but then there's this one guy that said, like, well, I was actually, like, super depressed and suicidal, and uh, thanks to your work, uh, it gave me a passion for something new that I didn't know existed, and so I bought a camera, and now I'm starting my career as a photographer. And I was like, oh, holy crap. Like, just by doing what I do and sharing it, I can completely transform the course of someone's life without even knowing. And I would have never known if I had never asked the question or if he had never seen it, I would have never known. And the sense that like, whether we know it or not, everything that we do, every action, every reaction that we have to something can have a downstream repercussion to someone just gave me a glimpse into the importance of being very conscious of what you want to do with your skills and how you want to show up to the world. Because whether you like it or not, you can completely transform someone's life. So <laughs> you said these were going to be light questions, but I'm still making it deep. <laughs> um, I think it's just important to remember, like, no matter who you are, where you are, what you're doing, how many followers you have or not, um, you, you can and you are having an impact on other people. So how are you going to show up and what are you going to do with that, that gift? And just because you don't know it's there doesn't mean it's not happening. Do you ever hear the words of Ben Parker echoing in your mind of with great power comes great responsibility? Oh, I, I definitely, <laughs> I, I had that phase go through and now it's kind of it just internalized. I think it's just this, yeah, this, this real sense that like, I mean, you're never going to do everything right. You're not going to please everyone. All that is true um, and undeniable, but nothing is stopping you from being the best person you possibly can be. Nothing is stopping you from being 
as good as you can, as kind as you can. And, and, I, and I say as you can very intentionally because you are not expected to do more than you can. You still have to put on your oxygen mask before putting anyone else's oxygen mask on. You have to take care of yourself first and foremost. But are you also being nice whenever you can? Are you taking that gift of interaction, of every interaction that you have with the, the weight that it could potentially have? Or are you just discounting it as something meaningless? Um, because if you do take it in, with the weight of power that it comes with, I think that's when it can actually become something greater. This next question is from Ali Captors. And his question to you is, what made you choose your style of photography over other styles? You know, I don't know how much of my photography style is chosen and how much was given to me. Um, when I grew up as a kid, I just loved fantasy and science fiction. I just loved these like super cool worlds of things that I had just read about. And then suddenly I was in a position where I could create them. And so why not create a world that's never existed? Why not transport people from the mundanity of everyday life into something else? How, how might you better awake some, awaken someone to the beauty of what's possible if only you tried? And so I think it just came naturally. I mean, maybe part of it was uh, the environment. So... I realized that if I did things that looked like everyone else's, no one would care. And if I did things that were really weird, people would react to it. <laughs> sometimes those backfired and sometimes they didn't. Um, but ultimately, it was by being myself that it worked out best. In, um, in 2013, when I was traveling around the world, teaching workshops and so forth, and you know, I think very much at the beginning of my career still, I got the chance to meet Chase Jarvis at one of his meetups and I brought my portfolio with me on an iPad and I just said, hey, can you look at my portfolio and give me your feedback? And this was at a social event. So he held this iPad as he was talking to other people and basically perused my work for like an hour. Um, it was just like super slow. He'd like have a conversation and then sometimes he'd look down and then he'd flip to the next photo and he'd continue his conversation with this other person and then look down and flip the photo. At the end of it- drenched in sweat? Not really, no. It was just, I, mean, I was interested in hearing what he had to say to other people. Yeah. And, I, and I, was, I was glad that I wasn't monopolizing his time. But then at the end, he gives me this, this, iP this iPad back, and he's like, you know, if you can figure out what is the one thing that you can do better than anyone else in the world, then you'll never have to worry about money ever again. I was like, oh. Okay, so then I took that back, and I was trying to think. I was like, okay, what am I the best at? And I was just like... I'm not really the best person at Photoshop. I'm not the best photographer. I'm probably never going to be the best at any of these things. I'm not the best at lighting. I'm not the best at colors. Like, what am I actually the best at? And how can I never worry about money for a day in my life? And I just got kind of stuck on the question for a little bit until I realized that, like, well, there's one thing that I'm going to be the best at being. I am going to be the best at being myself. And this is something that's very common. I mean, we hear this all the time. No one will be a better you than you. Um, but then applied applied more pragmatically what that actually meant in my mind as I translated his question into and internalized it was that at the end of the day, we are who we are and that's what makes us unique. The challenge then becomes how do we take our strengths and market them and how do we take our weaknesses and market those two as strengths, right? How do you say that, you know, because I've been to 13 different schools in three different countries in three different languages, I'm a really good collaborator because I can communicate my uh, I can communicate to a wide demographic of people. How can I say that 
oh, because I did martial arts uh, as a kid, I now understand how to capture movement, right? It's taking like all these different things that I intrinsically do. So I'm an engineer, so I'm process driven. So I'm able to like technically understand the processes in which um, a, a shoot needs to come together. And now you combine all these different things that you, you uniquely are good at um, or bad at. So like I have, I have ADD, so ultimately I'm, I get super distracted all the time with everything I do, um, which means I'm not able to do long-term projects, but I can do, I'm a really good project-based person because I go in, all in or, or nothing. I can transform that into a plus anyways. And so it's taking the entirety of who you are as a, as a human being and then putting that into a package that's marketable and, and desirable and, and unique. And so I think it's taken me a while to realize this, but I don't think my art is my photography. I think my art is the ability to collaborate and bring people together to do things that they've never done before. Um, and I do this consistently, and I have done this consistently, regardless of which theme or which style I've applied. Um, photography just happens to be what I actually was good at um, and, and still know how to do. Um, but the art comes from bringing pieces together that wouldn't naturally come together and creating something that has never been created before. It's funny you mentioned that because the next question from Tev, he asks you, what would you be doing um, if everything in the past you've done before had failed? What would you be doing instead? Or maybe that, that first um, moment of clarity that made you become who you are today never ever happened. What do you think you would have become otherwise? So I'll answer the question in like two different ways. Um, I think if I had never discovered photography, I would have probably ended up an entrepreneur in some way, shape, or form. It just fits the same spirit of like starting something and then failing and then starting something else and then failing and then starting something else and maybe it's succeeding. So that's, I think, probably what I would have ended up doing and probably not done very well because considering the different ventures I've started and how short my attention span is, I would have probably been a horrible entrepreneur. Um, I'd still try though and probably still am trying. Um, but... If I project f into the future, I've always had a backup plan to like what happens if I give the world my all and it's not enough? What happens if I try everything and I do my best and I just, I just get tired of it? You know, it's not enough. It's not good enough. No one actually wants what I do. And ultimately it doesn't, you know, I would have had my stint of like trying and affecting people and then just, you know, not being enough. What would I do then? And I've always thought that I'd just like open up a coffee shop and become like a barista and not and focus just on the people that are like local like focus on like the one-on-one -on -one connections of who I see every day can I can I just make their their lives five or ten percent better in a way that I could really touch and feel every single day without having without the grand ambitions of who I'm trying to be and the change that I'm trying to have and so that's always in the back of my head that's like always a retirement plan it's like you know one day I'm gonna get tired of all of this and at that point I think I would just, I think I'd make it like a really dope barista. I'd be a really great server. I can like, I could see myself just having fun serving food and just making people laugh when I serve them their food. And I think that would be okay too. Once again, I don't think anything is right or wrong, just decisions and consequences. And if I felt like I'd really given it my all and that it just wasn't going, it wasn't for me anymore, that's okay. So it sounds like it's always been in your DNA to help people. Photography just happens to be the catalyst. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I do, I, so I am a nihilist. I don't believe that life has any meaning. Um, I would never have thought that. I know, <laughs> I know, and it's, it's very counterintuitive. So I don't believe 
I think that ultimately time will erase anything and everything that we've ever done. And ultimately everything that you've achieved will be forgotten. And I don't believe in an afterlife and I, and, and, and I don't really believe in reincarnation. So basically I believe that once everything ends, it just ends and that's okay. Um, however, this is my belief. It's not the truth. It is just a belief. It is, and it is one that I feel like no one will ever be able to convince me otherwise because nobody actually knows. Um, that being said, there are others who believe differently and others who believe they are trapped on this world or others who believe that this is their one chance to make it work. Um, and if I'm in a position to help their lives become better, why shouldn't I do that? There's no reason not to help others be happier and be better. And in that way, it gives me a sense of meaning and purpose. And while I might not know what the purpose is for me, I can help others in their journey. And so I think, I think it comes from that place. Um, I once heard this TED talk that I, that I love. Um, I think it's like the four lies we tell ourselves about death. And it basically uh, talks about this whole meaningless of human existence and that you know, we try to survive, we try to live forever, either through religion, um, the concept of the afterlife, through science, the idea of like extending our lives eternally, the ideas um, of biology by reproduction. And now I forget the fourth one, but they, they basically throughout any form of human culture, we all try to live forever. Oh, legacy, right? Like, what are you going to achieve and how are you going to build something that's going to live past you, right? These are all things that we naturally hope to do because this idea of death is so terrifying to us. The idea of the end is so terrifying. And so we create these constructs to hope to give ourselves meaning and purpose, but ultimately on our deathbed, on the, you know, we just can't help but feel like, oh, fuck, maybe there's nothing there. And at that point, you know, or if you arrive at that point earlier, you have to make sense of it. And, and what better way to think of it as like life as two covers of a book? Just like the story, there's a beginning and an end. But it doesn't really matter how many people read the story. It doesn't matter um, whether it was a popular book or not. Um, what ultimately matters is whether or not the story was good. No one even needs to read it. But are you telling a good story between these two covers of the book of your life? And, and that's something that I truly try to embody. So I just want to have... A good book. I want my, my book, the book of Von Wong, the story of Von Wong, to be a good story. And I think sometimes it's self-sabotaging, you know? So you, we were talking a little bit earlier about perspectives. Um, I gain my perspective a lot. Sometimes I'm like, fuck, life really sucks right now. But you know what? This is going to make a great story in my future talk that I'm going to do because this is going to be rock bottom and then I'm going to make something out of it. You know, like it gives you that sense of time. Um, so sometimes I think it sabotages you. You think about, you know, should I do this? Because if it's a failure, it wouldn't make a good story, da-da-da. So there is good and bad to it. But it has very much guided um, a lot of the decisions in my life to just, you know, be, be good, be, be interesting, be different, but be true. Well, thing that's always stuck with me that's sort of been in my back pocket of a, as a thought is um, the idea of no matter where you are, what you're looking for, what kind of happiness you're striving for, if you can help other people be happy then your baseline will be fulfilled. Mm -hmm. You can help other people be happy, then no matter where you are at in life with your own happiness, at least you've helped someone else. Right. And um, I think as a bare minimum, that's such a good way to look at life. And I think that's why from being the barista at the coffee shop who made someone's day better to doing these large-scale art installations that could help thousands and millions of people, I think at the end of the day, they're one and the same. Yeah, in many ways, the, the underlying motivation is the same. Um, my girlfriend and I were talking about motivation. She listened to a podcast. I'm sure I can't remember this exactly right now. But she said there were like three underlying factors for motivation. Oh, I know what they all are. Great. Um, the first 
is choice. Did you choose to be in this situation? Because um, oftentimes, when we're not motivated, we didn't have a choice. Um, it was thrust to us or something is beyond our control. The second is, um, do I feel confident that I have the ability to tackle this problem today? Um, and sometimes the answer is no, and then you're not motivated. You're like, oh, I'm so not ready for this right now, right? And the third, and this is why I brought it up, is value or connection. Um, if you believe what you're doing matters to someone else, you'll find motivation to do it because there's something greater than yourself. There's a connection point that exceeds who you are and what you do that gives you the sense of value and mission and purpose that helps give you that motivation. So, so I think what you just said is super spot on is that if you start by giving back for others, Inher intrinsically, it will help you stay motivated and stay and, and gain that resilience to keep going when things get hard. Mm. Absolutely. Um, so last question. I think it's a great question from Pyro Denny. Um, they ask, what lessons would you pass on to those looking to tell more of a story and not just looking to take well-lit portraits? Which I think is a very, very valid question. And a lot of people look towards the technicalities of art, not the actual storytelling behind the art. I think that starting at the story is the wrong place to start. I think starting at the why is the right place to start. So if you start at the story, you might just tell a story that could be good or could be bad. But if you start with why you're telling the story, it'll help inform the story that should actually be told. Are you trying to get someone to feel happy? Are you trying to get someone to be transported to another world? But why? Like, where are you trying to go with it? And and that will influence every step of the way of the decisions that you make, right? Like I was saying earlier that my why was this idea that I wanted to inspire others to believe that anything was possible if they just put in the hard work. And through that why, it meant that sharing the process of how I got there was really important. And that means that I had to also construct the story of how I got there. Um, and then that informs what I'm actually making because how I get there matters, not just what I'm doing. And so it's kind, of, it's kind of staggered in that it really begins with why you're doing what you're doing. If the why is just because I want to have fun and play, I think that's a really hard place to create a great story from. I don't think that's where most people come up with their best stories. Usually it comes from this burning desire within to tell something that's really important to them. What, you know, If it was a childhood they never had, or a relationship they could never feel. I mean, that's when the work shines through. And I think that, like, you know, photography is very simple. Photography is, like, there's three settings. There's ISO, shutter speed, and aperture. And there's maybe some composition in there. And really, the growth curve to becoming a decent photographer is, like, a year and a half. And then if you add flashes on there, it gets a little bit more complicated. Maybe that's another year of work. But then you're still really just basically understanding like the inverse square law to understand the relationship between the flash and the shutter speed, and then that's it. So basically within three years, you can master something. And, and out of all the different art forms to master, this is, I think, one of the fastest that you can master. So yes, buy the gear that you want, learn how to do things, have fun doing it. But then ultimately, just that's not important anymore. Now you know how to use your gear, you know what to light, you know how to light it. Don't just try to take another portrait. Right? And it's not telling a story for the sake of telling a story. It's telling a story because it's something that matters to you. What do you want people to hear? What do you want people to feel? Why do you want them to feel that way? Um, and w how might the world be different if only everyone, when they looked at your work, felt something different? 
right? Those are the bigger questions to ask. And when you ask, I think, the bigger questions, when you add layers of complexity to your work, then your work itself becomes more complex and intricate. That's why, like, I think some of the best work that ever comes out of creatives are the ones that are the most heartfelt. Like, they're born out of pain. They're born out of suffering. They're born out of love. They're born out of hate because they come from a place of such need to be understood and expressed. And the vehicle by which they do that just happens on its own. So, yeah, if, if you really want a story, then capture that story, but think about why, and I think the rest will follow. That's fantastic. <laughs> I have one final question that's uh, a bit of like a reach-around question to get some sort of information out of you. And it's what can, Very cool. What can my Discord server collectively do to help you out? Like, is there, is there a cause that you're that you care about, that you want us to take a look at? Is there something you want us to pay attention to or share or start talking about? Like, how can we help you in return for you giving us this amazing information? And it's hard to ask for help from people that I feel like I am so much more, like, I mean, I don't know who's in the server, but I'm, I, I, I consistently feel like a very privileged individual to be able to pursue my craft and to choose the path that I want to, even though there are a lot of struggles along the way. But um, I don't know. Like, I think... You know, the reason I like to do these podcasts is because ultimately my hope is really for people to feel empowered to make a difference, right? Like I would love to see other people take on something greater than just learning how to use their camera. I want people to find their why. And I think the most useful thing to hear would be a couple months down the line for someone to go like, hey, Ben, I heard your talk on the Discord server. This is what came out of it. I, you know, and even if it was like, I want some help, like, how can I make this better? Or this is the community that I did something for, you know, I feel like it wasn't really a success, but I'd love to know how, like, I really want people to start adding complexity into their lives and stop thinking of things as like binary byproducts of something else. So, you know, if I can have that feedback loop, I think that would be probably the best thing ever. And then on a self-promotional front, it's the same standard, like, oh yeah, we should, you know, like follow me, like me, fill out my form so that I, we can keep in touch and all that. But like, that's not really that interesting for me. I'm a lot more excited about just hearing how this made a difference. Show, but don't just tell me in words, show me. Show me in actions. What have you done? And let's make it better together. Like I will, I will help. I will reply to every email that comes in that says like, I did this campaign. I haven't been able to get any traction. Why? And let's work on it. Let's work on it together because I think that's what the world needs more of. Yeah. And I think it's, it's so rare to take inspiration from something or somebody and go out and do something and actually be able to tell them, look what I did. Like you're telling me that amazing absolutely. story that uh, sort of changed someone's life, right? That would have never happened. No, absolutely. Um, and so guys listening to this, guys and girls who are listening to this, if, if you take inspiration from this and you go out and do something, whether it's taking a photo or even just helping an old lady walk across the street, um, like tell us, let's keep the conversation going and let's keep talking about how we can all evolve as photographers and creatives more than just understanding how cameras work. Yeah, I think, I think the, the most important thing to remember um, after listening to this is that inspiration fades. It doesn't last more than a week. And so if you don't take at least one action between now and the next week that comes, I can guarantee you that you're not going to do anything differently from this point forward. So if this inspired you or touched you in some way, shape, or form, do one thing, whether it's like one email, talk to one friend, like do one thing between now and next week. Otherwise, I can guarantee you that it will be forgotten. Dude, that is so true. 
It's so true. You need to like hop on that first lily pad and hop to another one before you sink. Absolutely. Yeah. Because <laughs> it's happened to me so many times. I like, listen, go to these conferences and you just get out of it. And you're like, oh my gosh, I'm so inspired. And then it's like, what was inspired of that? <laughs> yeah. It's just distant. You're memory. like super saiyan for like a week. Yeah. And then you're like, wait, who was I? <laughs> yeah, what exactly. So hop on that inspiration. If you're feeling it, if you're not feeling it, I'm sorry. Go <laughs> listen to another podcast. <laughs> 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 but yeah, if you feel something, go do something about it. Amazing. Well, Ben, thank you so much for talking to me. This is so much fun. Yeah, I know. Thank you for having me. Um, whatever this is going to turn into, it's exciting. Absolutely. Um, this is a first for me, and it was a wonderful to just talk to you human to human. So yeah, thank you. You, I you did great. It. You should do more of these. We'll see about that. <laughs> <laughs> All right, I'll catch you soon. All right. Bye. Cheers, guys. How good was that? I really enjoyed talking to Ben. It was incredibly refreshing to feel like I was talking to the real Von Wong. A human like you and I, with their very own struggles, joys, and pursuits of purpose. You can find out more about what he's up to by following him on Instagram, at Von Wong, and I'd highly recommend checking out the links in the show notes. His body of work is way too cool to not spend some time staring at. So overall, what did you guys think? This is my first time giving the whole podcast thing a go, but I love a good challenge and would most certainly do it again. If you have any comments and feedback, please don't hesitate to let me know. You can find me on all socials at John Simo, that's J-O-N-S-I-M-O. And if you're not already part of the Discord server, come say hi. There are a bunch of lovely people having amazing conversations every day. It does not matter if you're from Toronto, if you're a pro or amateur, everyone's welcome. We just want to all grow together. Thank you guys so much for listening. And on behalf of the creator community, this is John Simo saying bye for now. This episode's music comes from some homegrown talent right here in Toronto that I just so happened to meet through Ben. He goes by Divius, D-I-V-E-U-S, and he's breaking into the scene with some really groovy synthwave music. Make sure to give him a follow by hitting the link in the show notes below.